Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in I am mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which do not count. And I'm the available Alan Shurstel. I am here filling in for Dan Gavazdan, who has an opinion about annuals. I don't. I buy comics and then get rid of them. I I don't collect them. I I have no animus towards those of you who do. I do not think you are engaging with your hobby and your interests in the wrong way. I just can't follow you there. And welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. We're we're in episode two of the post-Dan hiatus era. Alan, welcome back. I'm glad that you um, not only passed the audition, but, you know, are willing to come back and do this show again. Just just until this kid of his is up and running. Uh, If you want to swing along with us (laughs) on our journey through Spidey's past, present and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show. That's this right here. And sprinkled in between, we're, oh, wait, no, that's not this. I'm so sorry. I thought this was the flagship show, not the in-depth, highly researched, well-produced ones that you guys also do. I'm so sorry. Go, go with it. This is... The in-between, where we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening. Or you could wait till Dan comes back. I mean, I was going to say, if someone just like came in on the first time and then like, you know, a month from now or two months from now, whenever Dan comes back, we don't know yet. They might be like, wait, I thought it was the perfect time, but maybe this this is is like if your first comic was assistant editors month, like that's what you're getting here. (laughs) <laughs> this is like if you're a Saved by the Bell fan and you're like watching like what is it Good Morning Miss Bliss or something you're just like wait this seems familiar but not exactly <laughs> and, and speaking of Good Morning Miss Bliss if you want to hear our older episodes including some tremendous interviews with industry legends like Mark Bagley JMD Ron Friends check out our new podcast feed Amazing Spider Talk Back Issues you'll see like Zach and Screech but that's about all you'll recognize excited, Mark. Today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 5. This issue was written by Zeb Wells. Interior and cover art featuring pencils by John Romita Jr., inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Marcio Menez, and letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. The issue was first released on July 6, 2022. What's new? Excellent. Well, I am going to put my best Queen's accent on and give a bit of a summary here. 
and we're going to start with Digger, who is enjoying a well-earned ice cream cone when his car pulls up to total chaos. Spider-Man has just taken out the Rose's gang, including the Rose himself, who's a Fisk, by the way, in case you didn't know. Spidey is really ticked off that he was duped by Tombstone to do his dirty work, but them's the breaks, right? Anyway, Tombstone is relishing in his victory, but the rest of the criminal underworld wants to know what the deal is. Is Tombstone working with Spider-Man now? Because if he is, that's gonna be a problem. Back at Peter's apartment, Felicia is stalking the outside when she sees Spidey swinging to the rooftop. She confronts Peter as Black Cat and tells him she knows his heart is broken ever since the quote, accident with Ben. She then implores Peter to be himself, to stop playing hurt, be smart, and start having fun again. With a little flirtatious banter, Peter seems to have his smile back. So Spider-Man goes back to the Rose's hideout, and after getting a couple of deaths thrown at him by Digger, offers to cut a deal with him that would get some revenge against Tombstone, while also putting Digger back in the Rose's good graces. Out on Long Island, besides being where I live, Tombstone is with Robbie and Randy Robertson. And Tombstone's all like, sorry about the fake kidnapping. And Robbie is all like, that's okay. It's not like I had a pitchfork to stab you with this time. So Tombstone goes inside and Spider-Man is waiting for him. A couple of cat hair jokes later, Spidey admits he's been bested and he's uninterested in making a move against Tombstone. He pushes the idea of being a team to Tombstone, much to the gangster's discomfort. Then Spidey reveals his own ruse that he sicked Digger on one of Tombstone's stash houses, and Digger is tearing through everything. Tombstone tips his hat to Spidey, who then offers some sympathy to Lonnie and his quote-unquote abused childhood origins before Lonnie calls him a weirdo and they disperse. That brings us to the kitchen of Aunt May, looking as lonely as ever, but swollen-faced Peter is at the door, and after telling his gullible aunt about his mishap with a racquetball, the two have dinner together, and Peter says, it's good to be back. All right, Alan, that was my interpretation of a comic book. I hope it, it, it sets the stage can, for can some I insightful just banter. Tell you, as like, you know, a part of my job for years, and including now, involves editing reviews of narrative art, like books or movies. And your summary was so clear and, and concise and impactful in a way that I think is really rare for a summary. It was it was actually interesting on its own, not just as like a summarization of the content of something else. In fact, you do a much better job than the Spider Office does. The summary at the beginning of this issue, catching you up on what previously had happened, like the pronouns do not match the antecedents that they think they do. I mean, it is such a mess. Spider Office, like just just send those to me give let me take one look at them and i will move your commas around and fix your fix your pronouns so that the antecedents are clear and so that people are a little less confused when they start one of these books just just please please let me last eyeballs on it please well i I will just say if people were actually reading the copy that i wrote down for the synopsis here they would it would probably have as many errors as the spider office gets but you know i'm able to kind of correct it on the fly here (laughs) So uh, I have the advantage of oratory here. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so so Alan, let's get into it. I, I want to start a little bit with um, kind of jumping to that scene with Spider-Man and Black Cat, because I feel like we're getting meta in this text right here. Or, or maybe I'm just reading into it or maybe I, I'm I'm hoping for like like a little bit of like a rap battle going on between like the current regime and like the Nick Spencer regime, because like, you know, Nick Spencer 
we, we I think we're all in agreement during his run took us took a shot at Dan Slot when he made that comment about, oh, you're playing the slots and losing or whatever it was during the Mephisto and, and Doctor Strange scene. Here, I feel like Black Cat's speech to Peter, this whole thing, stop playing hurt, be smart, be yourself. I think these are all criticisms that um, I definitely have had myself over the past few years of Spider-Man, especially during the Spencer run. I just kind of feel like this was a little on the nose, a little metacriticism of how the character has been treated before this run started. Or, or am I just like looking for a fight where one doesn't exist, Alan? Might be. I mean, the the prop that what makes this tricky is there is a history of this at Marvel, and there's a history of this happening, you know, with the Spider Office, and and I would just every time uh, the thought of every time the question of whether how Nick Spencer esteems Dan Slott, every time that question comes up, I have to remind people that in Nick Spencer's uh, independent series, The Fix, there is a Patsy character in the first couple issues who is drawn to look quite a bit like like Dan Slott <laughs> and uh, is treated as like the biggest dope that the cool guys have ever met and they continually prank him and ruin his life. And I noticed that like well, well, well before uh, there was ever any kind of hint of beef between them. <laughs> so Fair I'm not enough. saying it's definite. I'm just saying if we're gonna sit here and dish about comics creators, I'm gonna offer you all the dish I got. Drawing from the art itself, not getting into their lives. Come on, we're decent people. <laughs> but honestly, in this case, though, I mean, sure, maybe it's saying I don't. Maybe this is Zeb Wells critiquing the direction the book had been going on the previous run. I I don't know. Uh, to my mind, this doesn't have a proper noun attached to it. It doesn't seem pointed at any one particular creator. Maybe it's more just telling the truth about a Spider-Man run, or maybe it's just what Felicia thinks because. This run is not really all that upbeat. This run is not about Peter playing smart and being himself yet. This run is about like what would happen to actual Peter Parker who had actually gone through all the stuff we've seen him go through lately. This run seems to me not about the big hook, the big idea in this run does not seem to me at this point, what did Peter do six months ago? Like, we'll find out. Sure, that that's interesting. I'm looking forward to it. But the thing that's different in this run, the thing that sets this run apart from all previous others so far is this is so far about a man who is depressed. Maybe Peter's been depressed before. Maybe maybe depression is something he in real life would have been diagnosed with by now. But this is not just like, this seems like a portrait of depression from the inside. Like Peter Parker doesn't know what he's doing, what he wants to do, how to fill up his days, what his purpose is. He resists connecting to the people he knows wish he would reach out to them. We saw a lot of that in the first couple issues of this run. And at the end of this first run of issues, at the end of this first story, he seems to be slightly coming out of it, but nothing he's done is, is triumphant. No, not, nothing's definitely triumphant, but I, I, I do feel like, you know, the mistakes he's making are not like, for lack of a better phrase, dumb mistakes. Like, you know, like I, I feel like we sometimes like we talk about a down on his luck, Peter. And, and you know, we got this during Brand New Day. We've gotten this at points during the Dan Slot run. I don't know if I would call the Nick Spencer Peter down on his luck, but I mean, there was there was some stuff going on and the focus was really more on the Osbournes than anyone else during that run. I mean, he was kind of an inactive participant in his own story, it felt like during that run. But like, I, I, I do feel like, you know, it, it seems like he's down on his luck because like he, he made a choice 
you know, either really pissed some people off or has just completely alienated him from all of the people he knows and, and loves. And and I, I, I almost feel like that's truer to the character if you kind of go back to the early, you know, certainly like the Dicko and the Romita days where like, it, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't because Peter was kind of being an airhead that, you know, oops, oops, you know, oops, I slept with uh, Michelle Gonzalez or whatever it was like during brand new day and and made my life difficult. I mean, like it, it seems like he's in he's in deep right now. And like you said, really having a hard time pulling himself out of it. Um, but it's not necessarily because he's being like a man child, which I, I, you know, so I'm, I'm more intrigued with seeing how he navigates this downswing in his life right now. Big distinction, I think, between this run so far and a lot of other Spider-Man runs is that this one feels complex rather than complicated. You know, a lot of them are complicated in their plotting, in their how they're going to get 36 villains attacking them on the same night, blah, blah, blah. You know, very complicated. But there's nothing complex in them really emotionally or nothing really complex in them thematically. I thought the the Nick Spencer run often just seemed like a complete muddle of ideas. Here, the complexity seems thematic it seems rooted in character and it's just more about like what do you what do you make of what peter is doing and his decisions and why do you think he's making them is like what's interesting and exciting in the book much more than what who's he gonna punch and that's it's been a long time since i felt like that about a spider-man run i hope it sticks up but i haven't felt this kind of weight and seriousness in peter as a character you know since uh the jms days as to the original question here, uh, yeah, I think you can write Peter disappointing everybody and not make him just seem stupid or like somebody who can't grow up or or like an airhead. And in fact, in this case, I would say that Peter's mistakes seem to me attributable to him being depressed, like he's in a legitimately bad place. It's not that he's just a screw up with bad luck who forgets what he's up to. It's that everything we've seen him go through, like all the mistakes he's made, all the beatdowns he's suffered, all the times he got murdered by Kindred, which I'm just going to pretend didn't actually happen, all the times he sees his own clone, like literally himself uh, in miserable pain, all of this stuff, plus whatever happened off camera six months ago, has shaken him to his core, and he doesn't even seem to realize it, at least until Felicia shows up and tries to get him to to snap out of it. Now, do you have... Any insights into, you know, when Felicia's given him this talk and she mentions like, you know, you've been this way since since the accident with Ben. I thought it was interesting because it really felt like the first time we've referenced Ben since this run started. And and I know if, you know, people who are like up on the solicits know that Ben Riley or, 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 or Chasm or Chasm or whatever we're calling him is is going to be making an appearance in, in, you know, a couple of issues. But like, you know, it seems like when this run opened up in issue one, I mean, this, the big setup was, you know, the what did Peter do? And and it seemed like every everything that was wrong in Peter's life cascaded from him and the button and the crater in the middle of Pennsylvania. But Felicia here seems to be indicating, no, no, you're, everything seems to be going back to everything that happened with Ben Riley. I don't know. Do, do, do you feel that this is a bit of a swerve here? Or again, am I overreading into something? I feel like that is just acknowledging what happened before. That to me, I mean, I felt the weight of all those events, even though, I mean, to be frank, the end of the Spencer run, I don't really recall or understand what happened. But I have, I've certainly have felt like the weight of all that is bearing down on this character, is bearing down on Peter and the weight of all the Beyond stuff too and all the Ben stuff. 
And even though it hasn't necessarily been explicitly mentioned, it's just, yeah, this is a more Ditko-esque Peter than we've seen in a long time. And, you know, somebody who's really trapped in his own head and kind of has panicky thoughts when he should be like communicating with somebody. He can't, you know, say what they want to hear or say what he should say. He's thinking about something else in a way that feels very much like the first, what, 30-ish issues of Amazing Spider-Man. I mean, that is a big shift. But yeah, I mean, there was nothing here to really reset. Usually at the beginning of a creator's first new run on Amazing Spider-Man, we get a new status quo. Here's what Peter's into. Here's what his new job is. Here's why he's going back to school or here's why he's not going to school. And here's a couple new people and here's somebody from the past. And we got none of that. We got some continuations of some, you know, storylines involving, you know, Randy and getting married and all of that from the previous eras. But no, Peter hasn't moved on from anything. And that to me is what this run finally seems to be about. Not what happened, just how do you get your life back together when you went through whatever cataclysmic thing happened with with Kindred? Well, kind of kind of jumping off that, you know, Peter getting his life back together, you know, something that kind of jumped out at me too in this issue was Peter's empathy and emotional maturity uh, in this issue. And, you know, here's my, you know, I I got to hit my quota once an episode where I kind of poke fun at the fans on the internet and on Twitter who get crazy about the fact that Peter's not with MJ. I think for all of the teeth gnashing that we get about, oh, you know, not having Peter with MJ stunts his growth as a a person, I do find it ironic that right now... through these first five issues, I feel like this is the most emotionally mature version of the character we've gotten in years. You know, to to your point earlier in the episode here, it, it, the the JMS run for sure is the best comparison in terms of the, just like the, the the complexity of the character, rather than I, I really liked how you put it, but, but and now I'm misquoting you. It's 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 complexity versus what uh, versus uh, complicated. But yeah, I mean, like it, it, it's. You know, it's it's little things. I mean, you know, the fact that like Spider-Man is kind of given Digger a win. I mean, like not not that I I necessarily as a reader have much emotional connection to Digger, but it's like, you know, I, I, and I and I even like how when when Peter goes into the negotiation after getting a desk thrown at him there, where he's like, you know, the, he webs up the 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 normie, if you will, in the room and is like, the weirdo's got to talk. And I, I I just like that kind of like shows a little bit of like self realization that I don't know we always get with Peter, or at least we haven't gotten in a really long time. I mean, do you have any thoughts on this element here and Peter's empathy uh, during this issue? It just, he feels like a person who notices things and responds. I mean, I know it's also very much in his character to be hot-headed and to go in too fast. And both of those are elements, you know, of the Ditko run, the Romita run, and every run afterwards. But yeah, I'm really enjoying seeing this kind of a more thoughtful Peter. A Peter who sounds like he's actually learned a couple lessons from all of the things he's gone through, which is, you know, what you what you want in these developing ongoing stories. And I just actually, I, I went to, I got a couple messages from people who seemed to, who heard me on here last time and thought that I was too flip or dismissive of people who really believe and need the, the Mary Jane Peter relationship to drive this book or to drive this character. And I, I, I don't mean to be flip. I, I'm glad you guys have so much invested in that. I, I'm just saying there's no way Marvel's going to let them do that anytime soon to mainline Peter Parker. 
And that if you allow that to be your breaking point, you're missing some interesting stories right now. Uh, although I got to say, Zeb Wells, I think, might actually have some insight into how that how to write that relationship that nobody else has because that dude is married to Heidi Gardner from Saturday Night Live. She's from my hometown of Kansas City, our best export other than Paul Rudd and uh, Janelle Monet. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, but he's he's married to like a literal actress on TV. He, he knows something about what that world would actually be like or what that relationship would feel like. And yet I don't think he's going to be writing it. Or they're keeping them away from each other because, you know, the the, the thrills in the chase or, or hoping they get together. I don't know. I mean, like, I, I'm not trying to make this into a, a Ross and Rachel situation by any stretch. But, you know, like, there is something to be said about keep, you know, people want to see two characters be together and be happily ever after. And, like, that's just not good storytelling because especially when you're telling one ongoing story that's going to go on and on and on and on you know, putting a bow on it, it's just probably not going to be fulfilling or as fulfilling as you want it to be. Can, can I just add that? I think a distinction between them being back together in the Spencer run felt entirely arbitrary. There was no in-story reason for why Mary Jane was making this choice after not having made that choice for a long time. And in this run, it feels just as arbitrary that they're not together. You know, it just feels like it's a binary. It's like a switch to one or the other. At least this time, after five issues of this, and granted, there was no Mary Jane in this issue, but at least this time, it does feel like she has made some choices and there are reasons behind them and we're going to find out what they are. Just just to put one last little bow on the on the Peter empathy thing. I mean, like, you know, I, 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 I thought the scene at the end with him in Tombstone, I mean, you know, first of all, it's a complete polar opposite from what we got a few issues ago where, you know. Spider-Man was trying for the hero moment and ended up getting, you know, the front of his face punched in and bloodied and, and you know, thought he was about to get trapped with a with a gang style attack on the, on you know, above ground. This time he's just kind of in there. He's calm. He's playing. You know, it's it feels like a chess match going on here. You know, he's like he's 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 poking, poking the bear with talking about the team up because he knows you know, that's not going to fly in, in any of the circles that either one of them walk in and then kind of ends it by saying, hey, you know, remember that that story you told me about never getting enough to eat? You know, I'm sorry about that. It's, so it's just like you're a weirdo. And I, and, and I, I just it, it really felt like such a really great character moment for Peter there. I mean, you know, I, I, I wasn't expecting much in response from Tombstone, I think it would have been inauthentic for the character to be like, you know, let's hug it out, bro. But I, I, I just liked Peter kind of putting all the hostility aside while he's still kind of screwing Lonnie over. I mean, you know, he's got Digger tearing through his one of his stash houses. So it's not like he, you know, he, he didn't get his 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 vengeance to some degree. But, it, you know, again, this is this is a version of the character that I, I want to see a lot more of when it comes to these interactions. I mean, like, I, I, don't get me wrong, I love the banter. I love the the wordplay that he has when he's fighting Doc Ock or Goblin, you know, let's talk about a man purse. I mean, these are great, these are great lines. But then, you know, having him also be thoughtful and just like making his move in a way where it's not always bombastic and over the top, I, I, it's a good counter counterweight to the character and, and brings a little bit of emotional heft to the story and, and really brings a layer of Peter we haven't seen in ages. So I, again, just really enjoying it. And, you know, yeah, maybe MJ's missing out uh, on, on this guy if, if this is how he's going to be, even with his villains. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm poking that bear again, too. 
Yeah, it's again, you know, thoughtful Peter is something that we need once in a while. I don't I'm not saying it needs to be the default mode for the character. It's if people who are invested in the development of Peter Parker as a character, I, I ask you to just notice that he is developing here. He is not the kind of airhead he's been in several runs recently. And maybe he's going to earn his way back to MJ for a while rather than just have her appear maybe in a dream. Was that ever established? Was she really there during the last run or was it all a dream? I just don't remember. You know where you can speculate at will? The Amazing Spider Slack, Alan. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The Amazing Spider Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Yeah, so if you want to join this awesome Spider-Man community, just follow the link in the description and be sure to say hi. Maybe someone will be there. Uh, Dan's probably there right now. I got to tell you guys, Dan is he's being a great dad and, you know, love loves his son. You know, I, I also get the sense that he's he's craving interaction right now. So I bet you he's in the slack or, you know, he's on Twitter. He's doing stuff. So, you know, just because he's not on this show right now doesn't mean that he don't you can't say hi to him and talk to him about this stuff. And then once you're there, of course, uh, in addition to saying hi, be sure to let us all know what you think of this new episode. I mean, you know, Alan and I got uh, pretty good reviews after one episode. You know, will will magic strike twice or is this going to be like, you know, Stranger Things season two? I don't know. We'll find out. Alan, I'm going to kind of turn turn the things over to you because you uh, while we were chatting offline, you brought up a good point about What's generally the point of Peter's spider work uh, if he's hunting for crime rather than just being out there and saving people? And I I would love to hear you kind of wax poetic a little bit about that before I chime in on anything. Uh, I don't do not invite me to wax because I could wax on and on and on. (laughs) You know, I think so often the the great Spider-Man stories are about his life as Peter Parker. He's trying to live it and something happens that he has to suit up and like leave that life behind or save the people he's with at the coffee bean or the concert or, oh my God, poor Empire State University. Why would anybody go there at this point? It gets attacked so often. But so often in a Spider-Man book, he's living his life and then he has to go save the day. Here though, as I said earlier, the man is depressed. He is going through the motions. He has nowhere in particular he needs to be, nobody who really wants him to be there or and then the couple people who do want him to be there, he doesn't know how to get over their current issue with. So, he's just looking for something to do. And in the first issue of this run, we see him like blowing a day, not getting anything done, uh, you know, being late for stuff, like all that kind of classic Peter stuff. But now he's got a mission. Now we have that great one-page montage, God, one of my favorite pages in this book in so, so long, of, you know, Peter doing detective work around town, figuring out where Tombstone Tombstone's goons are moving his stash. And it's really cool. I'm glad my man has a purpose. I'm glad he's up to something. I'm glad he's being uh, uh, active in the world. But why is he doing this? Like the story is so excitingly told and we're so invested in how Tombstone got one over on Peter in the previous issue. And we're so caught up in the mystery of, wait, what actually is he doing? That the first time I read this issue, it didn't occur to me, this is a real waste of a day for like 
a genius <laughs> and a superhero who has saved so many lives, just finding out where Tombstone is moving stuff from one warehouse to another, like, that's it? That's a whole day of his life? Like, isn't... He's Spider-Man. He's more interesting than this. He has people to save and things to do. And that goes back to Peter being depressed, I think. And he doesn't know what he's doing or why he's doing it. He's just kind of operating on instinct. And I feel like this is one of those areas of the book being complex rather than complicated. Nobody is writing a caption in this book that says something like, why am I still Spider-Man? What is the point of it? But, I mean, this is a man going through the motions here. And that's why he got bested by Tombstone in the previous issue. He was just doing what he always does as Spider-Man. Now, helped a little bit by Felicia, he's kind of shaken himself out of it a little bit. And he's being a more effective Spider-Man when dealing with Tombstone. But the greater question I have about all this is, and I'm assuming that this is something that Wells is thinking about and that has got to be kind of depressing Peter, why is he bothering to do this? When there's no day to save, he has nothing else to do. I mean, I definitely feel like this version of the character is like fixating on things more than he's done in the past. And and that could certainly, you know, to to your theory there, be like a byproduct of, of the depression. It's, 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 you know, he... He can't think about other things because the, the other things upset him or make him sad or make him feel despair or out of control. So instead, he's just going to kind of like, you know, fixate on a couple of individual things. In this case, it's like, OK, Tombstone got me. So what can I, you know, I'm going to like you said, I'm going to waste an entire day. Like he could have just gotten up and been like, well, I screwed up. Let me, you know, let me find someone else to save. But it was like, no, no, no. no. I, it, and it's not even about revenge it's it's just like let me continue playing this this game with tombstone to its conclusion i mean you know it it's it, it, these are questions that what what's the point um that we wouldn't normally have in a spider-man comic but they do kind of be, these scenes do kind of beg that question a little bit i mean like what 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 is the fulfillment that is that he's getting out of this because there, there doesn't seem to be you know it's always that the spider-man life it's his responsibility to do it. But this doesn't feel like responsibility. This just feels like I got nothing better to do with my life right now. So I just have to fixate on this. And that's 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 an interesting dynamic for this character. Throws some earlier issues, some earlier stories. It throws some new light on some earlier stories. I kept thinking, what the second time I read this issue, and I was thinking, why is Peter spending his whole day doing this? I kept thinking of the classic Peter David issue 267, The Commuter Cometh, where Peter goes to all that trouble over a point over a crime that is very minor and like waste the whole day of his life. And that's played so lightly that you don't really notice when you're reading it. What an obsessive, dumb thing to do that is. That's a good callback too. Because yeah, I mean, you're right. We don't get it a lot though. I mean, like maybe, maybe there have been periods in Peter's life where things have been pretty pointless. I mean, (laughs) but they've been presented as this isn't pointless. This is the biggest drama in the world. But like, yeah, I I I, I kind of like the fact that the drama is just Peter and Peter's alone right now. I I I don't. I mean, even even after threatening to you know cause blood in the streets and in Harlem, I, I it, 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 this all feels so small and granular uh, in the in the scheme of things that I don't know. I don't know who who got saved at the end of the day in this issues. I'm going to be questioning that myself when I read that forward. So Alan, I I, I appreciate your insights here. Can, that's can a, I that's, ask that, one that, more can, question about this yeah, before we move on? Yeah. Yeah, um, no, go for so, it. So, I mean, 
I got I felt like I got kind of burnt by the Spencer run because at the beginning of the run, when I had a lot of questions about some basic things, I thought, well, that's what he's playing with. That's what he's toying with. That's he's going to reveal all this to us soon. Why it feels like a dream or why Mary Jane is back. Like I thought he's toying with these ideas and then the run collapsed and it never really felt like that. What I wonder is all these things were were speculating on like does Peter is Peter going to realize how limited his worldview is right now or how pointless some of his actions are? Is that intentional on the part of the writer of Wells, do you think? Is he going for that? Or is that like us maybe three months from now, what we're praising has become something we criticize? I don't know if I have an answer for that, <laughs> but that's a that's a that's an interesting, interesting way to to look at it. <laughs> I, I don't I don't have I don't have valuable a valuable answer. I guess for me the question I, I, is is this complexity or is this confused? And to I me think it feels like Wells is in control, but we'll see. I feel I, I agree with that. I don't feel that this is muddied waters here. I, I feel everything feels very intentional right now. Like you said, three months from now, are we gonna turn around and be like, uh yeah, I mean like the to your point. To your, you know, to your question's point, like I do feel that this kind of aimlessness, ha- if you will, has a, a statute of limitations in terms of enjoyment as a reader. You know, like like at some point, we 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 do need to feel like there's direction here. But I feel like this issue addresses that. I mean, like that's that's Felicia's speech right there. I mean, it's it's like. You know, it's it's Cher saying snap out of it, you know, like it's it's you just I know I'm just full of of references. It's what I do. But seriously, like it's we need Dan's millennial energy. It's getting very Gen X in here. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point and something to to monitor. We, We end the issue with this very. You know, tender moment, if you will. Although that sounds a little weird when we're talking about Peter and Aunt May. A uh, nice moment. It's a it's a nice parental child moment between Peter and his Aunt May. And of course, like you know, I'm looking at the art here. It's you know, J.R. J.R. and Scott Hanna, and it's Aunt May looking forlorn, sitting at a table. And you know, my brain is immediately going back to the JMS run and like you know, the conversation issue where where. You know, May finds the spider suit and tatters and confronts Peter about it. Uh, we don't get anything quite that that deep here. We have another moment where we're, we're kind of assuming like, OK, Peter and, and Aunt May are, are about to, you know, resolve whatever it is that they've been going through over the last few months since Peter. What did Peter do? And that's all well and good. I mean, like the moment, the moment kind of had a, you know, kind of hit me a little bit. But then I, I, I don't know, like I kind of got into this like little cynical diatribe in my brain where I was like, all right, so they're resolved and that's all well and good. What What is actually going to come of this? Because it's like, you know, as I just alluded to, you know, I'm seeing this scene, you know, I'm seeing the scene being set up and I'm immediately thinking to a much better, more memorable story from 20 years ago with Peter and Aunt May and their confrontation about Peter's secret identity. And it's like, uh, is, is Peter in this run going to 
come out to Aunt May again and say, I'm Spider-Man. I mean, if so, it's been done and it's been done better. It's going to be done better. <laughs> are, are we going to set up this relationship here to to pull the thread and kill off Aunt May again? Well, guess what? That's been done too. That was done by JMD in the, in the 90s. And it was awesome. Well, not awesome, but it was beautifully done. And you're never going to touch the tenderness of that moment. So, you know, like not that I don't want to see Peter and Aunt May and that relationship anymore. But like, in terms of what's the point, like where, where can we go with these characters at this point? That's going to be interesting. Cause I don't know. I, I, I feel like we've kind of hit a dead end here. And you know, this is, this is kind of an easy resolution based on the situation that Peter is in, how he's persona non grata. But I don't know if this is truly as impactful as they want it to be. I, I disagree with you on much of that, Mark. I thought this was a surprisingly powerful moment and a surprisingly rich and complex moment that, yes, this relationship is a dead end and all you can really do as like an artist uh, working with this relationship is kind of like, you know, take a feather duster to the to, to the way to the shapes that are already there. But I think we see something in this moment we we haven't really seen before. And I, I found I found this moment surprisingly powerful for a couple reasons. Uh, first, the thing we haven't seen before is on the last page of this issue, Peter tells May one of his dumb lies, like he always tells her. And she replies one of those things. And then we see him looking embarrassed. Then we see her kind of beaming at him, but also with this very pained look. I don't think we've ever seen her acknowledge to him and him acknowledge to her so clearly that they both know he's lying to her. And how much that hurts them both. And I think that is baked into that panel. I think those two, those couple panels there, I think that is just, I was really shaken. I mean, I was like, not shaken, like I was deeply upset, but I was just really struck by that moment and how I have not felt this much for this relationship since maybe like what, the Spider-Man 2 movie? Where th this feels real. Mark, do you think I'm nuts? I'm admittedly being cranky here on this one, and and it's not it's it's got nothing to do even with any of the creators involved here or 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 the moment that they created. But it's it's it just feels like, like I said, I I I'm I'm wondering not what the end game is because I don't know if there needs to be an end game. But you know, I I I'm I guess I am I am running out of ways to get emotional connection to these two characters here. And I, I don't know what can be done to kind of salvage that. Like, I, 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 I mean, that's a, your, your interpretation there. I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. And, and, you know, you describing it in the way you did, I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. That is, that is pretty potent. But then I'm still kind of pulling myself back and being like, okay, but then what? Like, so, so we're acknowledging that the lie is there, but then what, you know, like we, we, if, if they did this, 20 years ago and then you know the next issue was the conversation i feel like there would have been a payoff there that was worthy of that kind of moment but like i feel like that's an interaction as good as it was it's just going to be forgotten in an issue based on where these two characters have been for the you know for the better part of the last 10 15 years maybe i don't know like i mean i feel like we really haven't had a true potent Peter and uh, Aunt May story in a really long time. And, and and not necessarily because people don't know how to write the characters, but I think because like so much good content, you know, like there's, there's, there's two big moments that, you know, with, with May now it's like, 
he either tells, you know, reveals his identity or she dies. Like, I don't know where else you can go with the character at this point to, 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 to really, you know, change the status quo between them anymore. I mean, you know, Peter gave up his marriage to save her. So I don't know. I mean, that's, that's the, I guess that's the third moment at, at this point. I don't know. But like, I, I'm being cranky. I, I'm glad you got something out of it. I don't, I don't think you're wrong in that. I, I'm just kind of thinking, you know, oh, over and over in my brain again okay but then what you know i guess that's just what where my what my point is which you know very nihilistic of me i think that is entirely fair everything you just said i think is 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 entirely fair but also it's just that i that's the limitations of this type of serialized intellectual property storytelling there is very little left to do with this relationship without changing the status quo of the characters too much and that's why I was just so struck by this, like, oh, they actually got something out of that moment. And also, I would just add that this moment, while obviously this moment is about Peter and May, it's not really about their relationship in a lot of ways. It, I thread this moment as much more about Peter finally figuring out that he can reach out to somebody and... It, exposing himself to her with his with his bruised up you know awful face that you know he knows he's gonna have to lie to her he knows she won't believe the lie he knows that she knows he's into something that she can't understand that he won't tell her and he needs her so much right now that he goes over and shows her that to me it's it's a new moment of intimacy that i've not seen between these two that to me feels more about his need, his desperate need to reach out to somebody than necessarily about her in some ways. So I think it's something new in the relationship. I'll give it that. All right. Well, why don't why don't we give us some grades here? Uh, Alan, do you want to go first? Who went first last time? I don't remember. Uh, I think I did. And I'm, I'm happy to go again because I do want to add one more thought about this issue. And that is Peter's face, his bruised up face. Have they have they've I've never seen them do that before. Am I missing something? Has that been in a previous issue where he is just so wounded that he's drawn like a gangster who would be hanging out with with Tombstone. I, I I can't recall a moment, at least in recent history, where they've done that. I mean, they might have it's, it's gone there bold, once or weird twice. Choice. Yeah, and and I know definitely. a lot of a lot of readers are complaining about the way uh, Romita Junior draws faces to begin with. I I thought the faces on the last page of this comic were were extraordinarily expressive and moving, and and even a little subtle. Yeah, some sometimes the faces. Sometimes I'm I'm with some of you. Sometimes the faces don't always look as good as I might like them. In fact, when Felicia shows up in this issue out of costume, I at first thought she was May, which is yeah. something. Which, <laughs> I, I, I'm not joking. Oops. I really I really did. Yeah, yeah. I I think these. I think I can see that. I can understand why some people are finding Ramita's face work not consistent. There are some rough ones. I I agree with that, but I don't know that any other artist would hit this last scene as strongly as he did. It just feels so right. So, Mark, I'm going to do it two issues in a row. I am literally giving this an A. Oh, wow. That's that's good. I mean, this this was another really strong issue. I mean, I went A- last time. I'm going to just go it a little notch below. I'm giving it a B plus. But that's... Look, like, these are good grades. <laughs> I... I, I, I I feel like I'm I'm underselling it when I'm when I'm when I'm here with you, Alan. But like I I'm really enjoying this arc a lot, and I mean this was a like you know I think Dan on Twitter put something out there like this is the best first arc to a run since JMS, and 
I don't know if he's wrong on that. I think that's that's a, that's a that's a pretty astute comparison. I mean, do you have any other any other like first few issues that you would want to put it up against? I mean, in terms of the strength and the overall storytelling here. Yeah, I, I'm entirely with with you and Dan both on that. I know you haven't given a lot of B pluses in the last couple of years. There, there's no way around that. I'm glad that like for all the the hoopla about what did Spider-Man do six months ago, that what this run really seems to be about so far is who is Peter Parker and how does he get through this and what is he up to? Well, I am very excited about it. And look, if you all find this show entertaining and valuable, please consider supporting us by recommending Amazing Spider Talk to a friend. And if you're able, become a member of our Patreon. We can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. And if the show fails, that that's on me, Alan, not on Dan, Mark, or you Patreon people. And we are constantly making exclusive content for our members. For example, like for $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you can put that towards a month's subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content. That way you'll hear our Patreon-exclusive review podcast on every new issue of Amazing Spider. Spider-Man like this one and it'll be the same week it comes out instead of waiting it waiting for it to arrive in our public podcast feed and, and, and Alan we actually got it out the same week this time so you know kudos to us and if you contribute $10 a month you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members we've recently commissioned Juan Ferreira to depict a black suit Spider-Man and Daredevil to help memorialize our transition into the Peter David era of Spectacular Spider-Man plus every episode we release a new episode specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy but we know this is a hard time for everybody as it is for us too so we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing. If you have the means, please join our Patreon to support the continued existence of our show. Just follow the link in the description and thank you to all the members who already make this show possible. All right, Alan, why don't you, why don't you bring it on home? Mark, it's that time. It's been about an hour. The the web strands are starting to dissolve and fade away. Time for all good things to come to an end here. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. This episode was edited by Rick Coase with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, and Ray Sumzer. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider-Maj. Our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton from the Panels to Pixels YouTube channel. So, Alan, until I threaten to team up with you and thus ruin your credibility, what's our motto? <laughs> with great podcast, there must also come the amazing Spider-Talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.